0: Thank you, Spencer. Good morning, church family. It's so great to be together today. And I'll tell you, most of us are smiling under those masks when we walk past people in the foyer. And you can see each other's squinty eyes as we do. Uh, I really wanted to get a mask that says I'm smiling under here. I just haven't done it yet, but I'd love to. Uh, But despite those smiles that we've given each other as we passed this morning, let me ask you this question. Are you discouraged about anything today? Have you ever been discouraged? Will you be discouraged in the future? The answer is, of course. Maybe you're trying to live a godly life at school or at work, and that has brought a lot of teasing into your life. That's discouraging. Maybe you're a single who desires to be married without lowering your standards. I could list all kinds of discouragement you might be having at work. All kinds, right? Maybe your health or the health of someone you love is a discouragement right now. Maybe it's in your relationships, often a source of discouragement. Maybe it's an addiction, and maybe that's even been accelerated by this year's COVID and lockdown situation. Maybe it's a struggle with some other sin that keeps winning in your life. These things are discouraging. Maybe your ministry for the Lord is causing you a lot of discouragement. That happens, and we're going to actually see that today. But brothers and sisters, in a fallen world, you can expect problems, discouragement, and even times of despair in a fallen world. But listen, we are not without hope and power to overcome those times of discouragement. We are not without that power. We have that power. So the question, where do we go for for strength, for help, for sanity? And the answer lies here in our text today, Exodus chapters 5 and the first third of chapter 6, where we have come today in our Exodus series, Moving the World to Freedom. That's where we're headed. Uh, So if you haven't opened your Bibles yet, open them now, if you would, or turn on your Bible apps to Exodus chapter 5, and I know... Spencer just mentioned this, but if you need a bulletin, I don't know if the guys are back there. Yeah, I see somebody might be coming with the bulletin. Raise your hand if you need a bulletin. The Sermon notes are in there. Okay. Now, if you remember last week, uh, if you were here, and if you weren't, here's where we ended up. Last week, at the last verse of, cha- of chapter 4, verse 31, and you can look at it right now, you see we ended on a high note. I mean, the call in chapters three and four, amazing stories of, God, of God's calling of Moses, and we learn about how do we determine our calling by looking at Moses' calling and, and all the drama that unfolded. But we ended on a high note with Moses and Aaron taking their first step on their calling, on their journey. And they had snuck back into Egypt to meet with the elders of the Hebrew people to tell them the message that God had given them and the signs that God had showed them uh, to affirm their calling. And remember how the elders of of the Hebrews responded. They were excited, and they bowed and worshiped. It was a great first step in Moses and Aaron obeying the calling that God had given them. The first step went great, but it doesn't last long. Chapter 5 opens with a great deal of what we can learn about discouragement. That's where God has us today. Now, you got to remember, Moses was at the center of God's will for his life, the center of God's will for his life, yet he met intense opposition. Moses will wrestle with grief and questioning God, but God answers. So in your notes, if you're following along with those, you'll see the first point is the fact that discouragement beats us down. Discouragement beats us down. Obeying God is not a pain-free life. It does not mean popularity. It does not mean you won't experience the awful problems of this world. It does not mean that you won't suffer further spiritual attack when you're already down. No, rather the scripture says you can expect all of these things. So the question is not, will we ever have times of discouragement? The question is, What ways are available for us to deal with deep discouragement as it comes? Let's connect with the progression that happens to all of us at one time or another that we see right in these pages of Scripture. Point A is that we start with obedience. After they took that first step of obedience to God's calling and and it was well received by the Hebrew elders, we come here in chapter 5, verse 1. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. They made it. They obeyed God's calling. They took that step of the journey and they arrived before Pharaoh. And they said this to Pharaoh. They confront Pharaoh for the first time. We start with obedience, right? We can relate to that. We're off and running, we're right in the center of God's will. Then point B, and discouragement is the result. Verses 2 through 14. Pharaoh said, yeah, okay, that sounds fine, Moses. Go ahead. Is that what he said? No, it is not what he said. This world is not that easy. Let's see what he actually says. Verse 2. But Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. Where Moses had humbly said, Who am I, Lord? Now Pharaoh arrogantly says, Who is the Lord? And that is the attitude that God sets out to crush. But really, why should, Moses, or why should Pharaoh be impressed with the Lord at this point? He has ruled over the Israelites. They've been... Under the control of Egypt for several generations, as a king with many gods, Pharaoh saw no need to respect what he would consider a lower-class god of his slaves. And power has the potential to blind us to our dependency on God. It still does today. But we're dependent on God for every breath, Pharaoh had yet to learn that. So this conversation goes on, verse 3. Then they, Moses and Aaron, said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go on a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with plagues or with the sword. Now, notice a few things here. This is their second ask to Pharaoh, but a few things are different. They do make a better ask here than they did in verse one. First, they use the name that God had told them to use, that's improvement. And then second, they point out some illogical good reason for Pharaoh to grant their request. They said, if God judged the Israelites with sickness or sword for not worshiping him, then Pharaoh's workforce would be wiped out. That's appealing to some pretty good logic. It's a pretty good request, right? Moses and Aaron are getting better at this as they go. But Notice also that Moses and Aaron didn't show their signs to Pharaoh on their first visit. They had this arsenal of miraculous signs ready to use, but they didn't use them yet. And that's, I believe, because God wanted to let Pharaoh make his own decision first. And he does. He chose to refuse to listen to them. Verses 4 through 9. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Go back to your burdens. And Pharaoh said, Behold, the people of the land are now many, and you make them rest from their burdens. The same day Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their foremen, You shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks as in the past. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the number of bricks that they made in the past, you shall impose on them. You shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore they cry, Let us go and offer sacrifice to our God. You can hear a sarcasm there. Let heavier work be laid on the men that they may labor at it and pay no regard to their lying words. So Pharaoh was angry at this whole thing, and he decided to make things worse for Israel. No more straw, for your bricks will be provided. You've got to go out and find that yourself and still meet the quota of bricks. Make them too busy to cry anymore. Now, here's something that's fascinating. Archaeologists have discovered what is now known as the Louvre Leather Scroll, and it's a brick quota document from Ramses II's government. And on it, several quotas of bricks are listed, lots of them. And the results that are tallied are listed as well. And none of the results in any of the categories meet the brick quota. They've all fallen short on this document from Ramses II's era. Now, we're not completely sure if this this document was from this exact moment of Pharaoh and the Hebrew slaves. We're not completely sure, but it doesn't matter. It's fascinating how this document lines up with the ancient text that we're reading. And the point is that things have just gotten worse for everyone. And Pharaoh publicly puts blame on Moses and Aaron for it. Notice this political maneuvering here. His workforce is going to be disheartened that he's going to blame it on the other party. This is politics, just as it is today, right? And guess what? It works. It works today. It worked back then. The Israelites are going to blame Moses and Aaron, too. Moses and Aaron doing the right thing, center of God's will, following their calling from God, and everyone is blaming them. That's discouraging. We start with obedience, discouragement is the result, and then it gets worse. We're gonna jump to verses 15 through 23. Let's see what happens. The discouragement turns to disunity. Verses 15 through 21, follow along with me. Then the foremen of the people of Israel came and cried to Pharaoh, why do you treat your servants like this? No straw is given to your servants, yet they say to us, make bricks, And behold, your servants are beaten, but the fault is in your own people. But he, the Pharaoh, said, you are idle, and you are idle. That is why you say, let us go sacrifice to the Lord. Go now and work. No straw will be given to you, but you must still deliver the same number of bricks. The foremen of the people of Israel saw that they were in trouble when they said, you shall by no means reduce your, your number of bricks, your daily task each day. They knew this is bad news. Bad situation. Now watch what happens. They met Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh, and they said to Moses and Aaron, the Lord look on you and judge, because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants, and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. We've got some serious disunity among God's people in this crisis. Now their anger is understandable, Moses and Aaron just made their life much worse. But what they should have done was turn to God first and cried out to God. And in the last few messages in the text, we've learned that very lesson. And that that works when things get hard, when something goes wrong, when there's some kind of suffering, something that you don't like. First step is to cry out to God. And he hears us and he remembers us and he knows us and he answers every time. These guys didn't do that. Instead, they chose to blame and complain. And that's still what we do today. By human nature, that's what we're naturally inclined to do first, blame and complain. Instead of crying out to God for peace and for help. And this is a common occurrence throughout all of Israel's history, to blame and complain first against leadership instead of doing the right thing. We can certainly relate to that natural tendency, but God says, don't do that. Come to me first. You might want to make a note of that. No more complaining and blaming first before I come to God and pray. Well, Moses actually gets this, kind of. He cries out to God, all right, but he's still learning there's a right way and a wrong way to cry out to God. Verses 22 and 23. Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, so that part's good. He said, oh, Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. So he's crying out to God, which is good, but Moses makes a mistake that many people are still making today. He is mad at God. And he accuses God of doing evil of doing wrong. And that's a mistake because the Bible says over and over, like in Psalm 5, 4, for you are not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness and no evil dwells with you. Or 1 John 1, 5, which says, God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. So when you are mad at God and accusing him of something that you think went wrong, that is a wrong accusation to God. And you need to repent of that. It's not fair and just. It is Pharaoh, not God, who is the one responsible for Hebrew suffering. All anger should be directed toward sin. Be angry and do not sin. Be angry at sin and injustice. That's God's calling. Then Moses said, for since I came to Pharaoh, you have not delivered your people at all. He had only met with Pharaoh once, though, and he teaches us another lesson I think that we can really relate to, and that's we want good to prevail over evil, and we, when we want something good to happen, we get impatient. We want it now. I mean, we see this injustice, and we want the good to happen now, but we can't rush God's plan and his timing, and we see that right here in this entire story that we're looking into As we're going to see in the coming weeks, God has bigger plans in mind, much bigger plans in mind than if he would have delivered them right there at that moment. Thus the need for us to have perseverance, faith, patience, and hope all along the way. We can trust God and his infinitely wise sovereignty, his plan. Okay, chapter 5 shows us that at times... Life brings deep discouragement, pain, questions, harsh oppression. It can, as the Israelite foreman said, stink. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, that's so real. So the question, how do you beat discouragement? You beat it with promises. That's what the first part of chapter 6 is all about. It's all about Discouragement beats us down, but God's promises beat discouragement out. I realize you're not supposed to end sentences with prepositions. I, I have passed English class. But I did that on purpose so you can see the action here. Discouragement beats us down, but God's promises beat that right out, right out of us. Watch this. God's promises provide us with hope and remind us about the power and glory of God. And Yahweh is going to give Moses three awesome reminders here that beat every type of discouragement that comes our way. So listen to these and claim them today and every day. God speaks and his first promise is he is in control. And this is a promise. Chapter six, verse one. The Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. We see the bigger plan unfolding. God assures Moses that there's only one in total control of everything, and it's not the guy in the snake hat. It's him. Twice before, God said, the people will follow you, the people will follow you, but Pharaoh is not going to listen. He told Moses that, and Moses said, but why? And God had already explained why, actually. If you look back in the previous chapters, he wanted Israel to become so repulsive to Egypt that they wouldn't just let him go on a three-day journey. No, they would kick them out. They would tell them to get out and give them all their possessions on their way out. We'll get to that in a, in a few chapters. They won't have any cash to pursue you because you've taken all their cash. This is the bigger plan. He's he's said that and Moses is living right in the middle of it. So I urge you don't get discouraged as things are hard and take a long time to suffer through because God is working his bigger plan in it. Our job is to trust him, to be faithful. He is in control and we can claim that promise and make it through anything. So we fight discouragement with this promise. He is in control. But second, God promises that He keeps His covenant. Verses two through five. God spoke to Moses and said to him, "I am the Lord, I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel. Whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Now, God had said all this before to Moses, hadn't he? Does that all look familiar? He had said that all before. He repeats it again out of his gracious patience because we keep forgetting. How many times has God delivered us? How many times have we trusted Him and it worked? Or not trusted Him and realized that that was foolish anyway? He's come through every time, and yet every time, Something else comes up, we need to be reminded again. And God's faithful. He'll remind us, as he does here with Moses. God is drilling this deep into his reluctant, hesitant, fearful deliverer, Moses. Let that sink into you as well. That God keeps his promises, and we can trust him. He says, remember, I have heard your groaning, and I remember my covenant. I keep my promises. For us, on this side of the cross... You know, Moses was living thousands, hundreds of years before the cross. We live 2,000 years after the cross. For us on this side of the cross, reading this from Scripture, this means to remind ourselves every day of the gospel. It's a bad mistake to think that the gospel is only useful for getting you saved, it is useful for every day, every moment of our lives, for this right here. The gospel is the good news that Jesus died to rescue us from our slavery, to sin, death, every bad thing, because God kept his covenant in Jesus. We have access to that plan. In Jesus, we are part of an eternal covenant with God, established by Christ's own shed blood on the cross to pay for our sins, and he doesn't forget that covenant So Christians, remember this every day. God did that for me. This is how much he loves me. This is how much he will do for us. And he makes us overcomers because of it, because we have the gospel. We are overcomers. So say this out loud. Would you just please because this is who you are, this is your identity in Christ, say this, repeat after me, because I have received Jesus' gospel, I I am an overcomer of discouragement. discouragement. Now, praise God. This isn't just self-help stuff. You've just proclaimed God's help, his power, who you are, He remembers his covenant. God's third set of promises develops this even further. I mean, that's already more than we deserve, and that's already enough good news that we would ever need, but he goes further. Third, his gospel has the power of promises to do several more things that are listed out here. So here's what we have left in the remaining few verses. The gospel promises four things here, and we're going to look at them. These three verses, verses six through eight, are critical to the Bible, to the whole Bible, to the whole story of the universe. In these verses, God makes seven I will statements, and you can underline them in your Bible if you'd like to do that. Seven I will statements. Now, that's a significant number. Seven is the most significant number in the Bible, the most important number in the universe. God created the universe in seven days. The seventh day is the Sabbath. Sabbath. The 7th year is the sabbath year. There were 7 feasts in the system all of in the feast system all of which Jesus fulfilled in their completion and on and on and on. And all 7 promises in these 4 verses we'll see were accomplished in the gospel by Jesus death and resurrection. These are three central verses in the entire Bible. The first four promises are what the four cups of wine represent in the traditional Passover seder. They are: I will free you, I will deliver you, I will redeem you, I will take you to be my people. Guess they decided not to drink a cup of wine for all seven because four was plenty. That's a joke, um, <laughs> but it's true. Uh, we are very pleased to be holding a Messiah in the Passover Seder on April 3rd, the evening before Easter. Please save your, this date on your calendar. It, might be the, it's, it will be one of the biggest events of, of Community Grace's 2021, and I hope everyone can join us. Tickets will go on sale soon, and you'll hear more information soon. But for 1,500 years, Israel, up to the cross, had been celebrating the Passover feast, to commemorate and remember the events that are coming up in a few weeks in our text, the exodus from Israel on that night of the Passover. And for 1,500 years, they didn't realize that Jesus was going to fulfill every aspect of the Passover feast. And we're going to see that together on April 3rd. So let's look at these seven Statements, and I'm organizing them into four gospel promises which have God's power to save sinners and beat all discouragement. You ready? The first two are in verse six, which says, say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm, and with great acts of judgment. The first two promises are within that verse. The first is the promise to liberate. I will bring you out from under the burdens of Egypt, and I will deliver you from slavery to them. Liberation, freedom, liberty. These are godly concepts. Here God liberated the people from slavery through the mediator, Moses, for the purpose of worshiping God. This is also a vibrant picture of what Jesus would do for the whole world as a mediator to bring the whole world freedom from sin and death. The Apostle Paul says this in Galatians 1.4, Jesus gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age. The gospel brings liberation, freedom from sin and death. Next in verse 6, also, the promise to redeem. He says, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm with great acts of judgment. Redemption, you've got to know what this term means. You've got to know what this concept is because it is the foundation of the Bible. When we say the Bible and is the story of the universe, something else we say, it is the unfolding plan of redemption. And we're living in it right now. The unfolding plan of redemption. So what is this word redemption? The word redemption carries the idea of purchasing someone's freedom from slavery. That's what it means. Purchasing someone's freedom from slavery. God purchased Israel's freedom from slavery here, and he purchased the opportunity for all mankind's freedom from sin through the cost of his son Jesus' death on the cross. Freedom is a Christian truth a vital Christian truth, and we should speak of it often and value it highly. No one one should value freedom more than Christians and bring that continually to the world. So in your discouragement, remember that you have a Redeemer, someone who has paid a great price to bring you freedom from what is discouraging you, Jesus. Even further. From just setting slaves free, God's goodness and grace continues even further. The third gospel promise is the promise to adopt. Jesus doesn't just save us from some things like sin, death, guilt, judgment, shame, pride, hell. He saves us from all those things, but he also saves us to great things. To spiritual life, to eternal life, joy, peace, glory, freedom, and adoption as God's sons and daughters in his own family. Amen. That's in verse seven, where he continues. He says, I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of Egypt for them, all sin and discouragement for us, and death. What a privilege! The Apostle John celebrates this many times in his writing. He, he loved this. And in 1 John 3.1, as an example, he writes, Look how great a love the Father has given us that we should be called God's children, and we are. This is our new identity. Children of God, sons and daughters of God. That means we're beloved, we're cherished, we're secured, no matter what discouragement our enemies try to crush us with. We can claim this. So, always remember, this is who you are now. And it gets even better. Last gospel promise the promise of inheritance. Verse 8 I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. God promised his people that they would possess a country. During the entire nation's history, they had never possessed anything. They had always been guests or slaves in some other land. But God promises them an inheritance, a country, a culture, and he promises that. And Later in the book of Joshua, we read the conquering and the inhabiting of of this promised land. He has promised us a future inheritance as well that we can't even imagine. That's heaven. We have a relationship with him now. We have overcoming power now through the gospel, through the Holy Spirit, and a future inheritance, a land and a culture that we can't even imagine. But it's good to try to imagine. He says, set your mind on things above. And he is good because it reminds us of our hope and his goodness and his power and what we already have secured in Christ. How can we be discouraged? How can we stay discouraged? So to review, discouragement beats us down. But God's promises, they beat discouragement right out. He promises that he is in control, that he is good, that he keeps his covenant. And his gospel of Jesus is powerful, powerful, powerful to free us, to redeem us, to adopt us, and to secure us for an amazing eternity. And that brings us to our final verse and final point. We make our choice. We all have to make our choice. These promises should seriously brighten your day today, and they should change your life. But we all have that choice to make. Verse 9. Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel. He told them everything God said. But they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. The people of Israel made their choice. They struggled to believe because of their broken spirit and the harshness of their slavery. And I wanted to end with that verse today. To allow us to be very real with each other. I know the pain and the hurt that we can have in this life. God knows it much better than you or I do. And He knows that the resurrection power of His Son Jesus is infinitely more powerful than that. He knows that, and He is patient. Look at the, ta- the verse again. Sometimes people are so discouraged or so wounded that it's hard for them to put everything together. It's hard for them to even hear the truth. Sometimes people are so mentally or emotionally crushed that they, they can't comprehend it. We've been applying Israel's situation to every type of slavery and oppression that still exists today, every type. Every type. Let me urge everyone here to take two next steps today. The first one, I want to I start by looking outward. And that is to encourage the discouraged with the gospel. This is part of our mission, to bring this message of hope to everyone. Whether they're ready to hear it or not, they need to hear it. Those seeds need to be planted. This is our mission Think of everyone you know that has some kind of discouragement and bring them this truth, this hope they need it from you and God has given it to us. The great Charles Spurgeon, preacher from the 19th century, said this, and I want us to focus on this quote for both of our next steps. He said, some cannot receive Christ because they are so crushed in spirit that they cannot find strength enough of mind to entertain a hope that by any possibility, salvation can come to them. If any of you can do anything to help the toil-worn workers, I pray you, do it. What a great charge. If you can do anything to help anybody around you, I pray you, do it. Who do you know that's discouraged? You are in their life to bring them this. What's that gonna look like for you this week? For the course of your life? You reach out this week. I pray you do it. Love that. That brings us now to look inside. And that is, next step, number two, beat your discouragement eternally with the gospel. We can do this. Again, this is so much better than self-help. God's help. Holy Spirit help. Holy Spirit power. That quote from Charles Spurgeon continues. Listen to this. And yet, dear friend, if such a one has come in here tonight I pray you, do not throw away the next world because you have so little of this one. This is sheer folly. If I have little here, I would make sure of the more hereafter. If that's you, if you're crushed and in despair right now, don't trade that hopelessness. Don't trade the future glory, eternal life, joy now, relationship with God. Don't trade it to stay in the discouragement that you're in right now. And this finds its fulfillment in the gospel. If you need to receive Jesus for the first time and give him your life and receive this new spiritual life that he's given you, to start with a clean slate, that washed whiter than snow, that's what he offers. And you can do that this very day. You can write that down on your communication card and we'll come and talk. Open the Bible, walk through the Bible together. This could be the day of your salvation for you to believe and receive Jesus today. If any Christian already here is oppressed and defeated, discouraged, and in despair of any kind, remember the gospel. Remember all that God teaches about who you are because of him who he's made you. Receive that those promises today, claim those. It'll lift you up. If you need help with that too, write that on a communication card or just come and, and talk to me or any, any other influence in your life for Christ. That's a good message. I pray you all receive it. The story of freedom continues next week. And I hope that you will continue to join us. God has great things in store for us. Let's close in prayer.